Come on. Welcome to Money Savage, Savage Approach to Personal Finance. This is George Grumbacher, and the time is right. Welcome to today's guest, strong and powerful Victor Riccardi. Victor, are you ready to do this? Yes, I am. Let's rock and roll. Excellent. Let's do this. Victor is a behavioral finance and risk expert. He's a finance professor, editor, commentator, speaker, author of the book, Investor Behavior, The Psychology of Financial Planning and Investing, and he is a return guest to the Money Savage podcast. Excited to have you on. Victor, tell us a little bit about your personal life, some more about your work, and why you do what you do. Um, I will actually, and the other follow-up is, since we last talked, I also have a second book uh, called Financial Behavior, um, essentially uh, uh, entitled uh, Financial Behavior, Players, Services, Products, and Markets. That's the more uh, recent book. Um, so nice. I figured I could plug to that. Um, I, I just uh, enjoy teaching. I enjoy spending a lot of time with my students and just um, uh, very Italian, so I like to make a good uh, tomato sauce. <laughs> um, yeah, eating uh, sauce out of a jar is considered a sin in my household. Um, and I'm a big Mets fan, so I'm looking forward to the uh, uh, baseball season. In fact, always I, I describe myself as a blue-collar professor because I actually used to work at a um, Shea Stadium during high school and college as a beer vendor. So um, my students are always interested in those type of, uh, you know, little tidbits. Nice. Yeah. So my wife was born in Connecticut and that's where she grew up. So I feel like she sort of had her pick and she selected because her grandfather was a Mets fan, the Mets. So you're you're in good company. I have no idea how they're going to do this year, but... Well, I'm hoping, you know, uh, again, it's, well, I think it's even a personality to make up to why you become a Mets fan. My, my father was actually, grew up in uh, East New York and Brooklyn, so he was a Brooklyn Dodgers fan growing up. He uh, cursed baseball when they moved, and mm. so when the Mets were started, he actually started watching baseball again. And so I am doomed, I was doomed to a life of being a Mets fan because my father was one, so. Fair enough. <laughs> That's what I always kid my wife. I'm like, you could have been a Yankees fan, but no, it's it's the Mets. So I love it. All right, Victor. Well, I, I'm uh, congratulations on the new book. We'll have to have you back on in the future to talk about that. Um, I know that the investor behavior was quite an undertaking, and there's so much great information in there to unpack that we just scratched the surface of it last time. So what we were going to focus on today, we are going to focus on, is the chapter on the investing behaviors of high net worth individuals. So excited to and dig that's in. Actually, great. That's actually, that's, that chapter is actually in the new book, so it works well by coincidence. Nice. Okay. You know, Victor, yeah. one, one of the great signs of uh, being a good podcast host is being prepared with, with, with correct information, So, <laughs> <laughs> which is not the case right there. Okay, so the investing behaviors of high net, net worth individuals is in the financial behaviors book. Yeah. Okay. Excellent. Book. Cool. 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 That's 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 even better. Perfect. So, what is the best jumping off point here to talk about or to start talking about investing behaviors of high net worth individuals? Um, well, I, I would say first is how you define them. So um, there's, there's different. So at the minimum, uh, the, the chapter in the book defines a high net worth individual as somebody having a net worth of a million dollars or more. Some brokerage firms may have different uh, but different meanings, but that's kind of where I start off with in our book, in the current book, uh, with um, Greg Philbick and uh, Kent Baker. 
Um, and also then, as there's even a, a, another aspect of the chapter that talks about high net worth individuals or ultra net worth individuals, excuse me, where maybe they have like $30, $40 million, and then it even gets more and more you know, if someone becomes a billionaire, hundreds of millions of dollars, you know, you know, the, the type of people on Shark Tank are even the ultra, ultra billionaires or net worth individuals. Got it. Okay. So definition, certainly important to, to set the parameters. And, yep. where, and where, where do we go from here? Is it a conversation about the psychology behind how these folks invest? I think that's part of it, but I think even I think just thinking about uh, the research shows that typically um, uh, wealthier individuals or high net worth individuals also start as they make more and more money. They they start to have money. It's not the money itself necessarily has great meaning. I think uh, especially uh, certain personality types as they as they uh, create wealth. They start to also be, you know, they have a certain reflection about it where they start to think they want to help society. They may want to have a special cause. They want to, they want to wanting to give more money to charity. So I think uh, as that wealth starts to create, especially for those, you know, if it's a first generation thing where they've created a lot of wealth, they especially want to give back, but also... Um, generational money, or I say older money versus new money, the older money also then, like the Kennedys and other types of families, then start to integrate that type of charity or that, um, you know, the volunteer work into their overall uh, family culture. I think it's an important thing to think about. Got it. Yeah, I think that that certainly makes sense. It's a, is that a function of we have breathing room and I don't need to focus all my energy on on the acquisition or the making of the money now that we have that and I don't want to say we're comfortable but there's certainly a level of lack of scarcity um, and that now they're able to think more proactively I think that and I don't think all this stuff is absolute but I think that's part of it for some certain individuals uh, other people just want to be as I said just want to get back they wind up having very important causes, and they realize that this wealth, um, you know, once your once your family is taken care of for many generations, what are you going to do with that wealth? You know, they have a cause, or maybe something happened in their life, or dur- during their family where they just have a very um, focused. You know, now they have the wealth to solve that problem, or at least maybe put research behind cancer or some other important type of cause. And versus others who even. Um, you know, someone like uh, Carl Icahn, it's, it, someone like him, he has a great deal of wealth, but um, I'm not sure about his uh, charitable um, uh, activities, but, he, you know, another another perspective on that is someone like him with a great deal of wealth uses his wealth to influence boards and try to get, um, you know, he, he uses a lot, tries to change behaviors of boards and companies and senior management uh, using shareholder activism. And so that activism could be, for say, uh, I know he was um, for something like eBay. He was instrumental in pressuring the board to, uh, to do a spinoff of uh, PayPal a, a couple of years ago, I believe, uh, because he didn't want to own necessarily eBay. He wanted to own PayPal, so he wanted that to be a separate stock. So that way, so sometimes this wealth can either be used for charity or it can be used for for be also being used to create greater wealth. Right throwing his weight around so to speak (laughs) exactly all right so from an empirical standpoint um 
what kind of what kind of evidence or findings are um, associated with wealth wealth creation and, and distribution? Uh, well, I would say two two major things um, in reviewing my chapter um, that I would say, um, especially uh, it seems like high net worth individuals many times seem to achieve higher returns than uh, the average individual investor. And that could be because they maybe, you know, we'll talk about the biases, but maybe also because they have a, have a um, higher knowledge, a higher degree of financial literacy, uh, maybe, maybe also um, uh, partially um, better uh, financial advisor advice that, that increases their returns. Also, I think another important thing to realize is um, with economics of scale, as people, uh, you know, as people have greater degrees of wealth and greater of money in portfolios for uh, uh, for investment houses or financial planners or advisors to manage, um, they actually lower their fees in many cases. Um, so, for example, you know, you, you, you know, if, you, if someone's investing $10 million versus $100 million, they'll start to, um, certain companies or advisors will lower their AUM or your assets under management as an incentive for uh, those people to invest money with them. So that also, I think, probably helps increase their returns is that more money brings on uh, lower expense ratios and some and management fees in some in some cases. Got it. I think that that certainly makes sense. All right. So it's a matter of potentially better access. It might be better knowledge and just better advice in general. Those are those are some of the key drivers. Yes, and also I think another important thing is, especially you know, um, it, the problem with individual investors many times is that they're looking at, you know, the S and P five hundred. They're um, they're chasing returns. Um, I think many just individual investors um, haven't gotten the message yet, uh, and probably um, I think probably the advantage or the behavior that many of the high net worth individuals utilize is. You know, not just a financial advisor to build wealth, but they're also maybe using a planner or a wealth manager who's helping them really think about the entire financial planning process. And many times that's a, a goal, a goal-based investing approach, meaning it's, you're, not, you're not worried about, say, maximizing your portfolio to have $2 million. It's having a conversation with your advisor or your planner and saying, what are the important things for you or financial goals that you want to reach? Um, so, for example, if you, if you want to, if somebody is wealthy enough and say they want to be a, build a business school or have their name after business school, um, and that's an objective of this, what does that cost? And so, then, for example, if that costs $10 million to build a bit new business school or $15 million, um, how does the person reach, either allocate money towards that goal or uh, develop a plan of investing to reach that $15 million so they'll reach their financial goal of actually building a business school, say, at a college or university? So that those objectives are not necessarily driven completely by money. It's trying to realize what's important. What you know. So, for example, if a, if a high net worth individual thought that a particular uh, business program gave them the uh, the ability to make all this money, they're then saying, I want to pay back by build, uh, building a school of business, for example. And that would be an example of a gold uh, a goal investment approach, gold-based investment approach. Yeah, I think that that makes a lot of sense, and it's such a powerful thing. 
as opposed to just arbitrarily saying, I want to have X number of dollars in retirement or I want to have X, I want to try to get this X number rate of return to actually, it's almost like crafting a narrative around what I really want. So I want to, to your point, you know, set up or, or help, help, help create a, a new school at, at this college or help the library expand and how much is that actually going to cost and how can I then back in the numbers and the rates of return to actually get there. Exactly. And that, I think, you know, cause uh, I think a lot of this charitable giving is also a choice. Do you want to experience the joy people get of your charity when you're alive or other people prefer to maximize their return and then they do bequests. Um, after they die through estate planning and other ways. So, I, and, I, and I think there's no, there's not necessarily, you put aside tax um, issues, but in, in terms of really thinking about what's important to that client or that high worth individual um, and getting their preference, you know, because so, some people are, you know, if they're creating wealth and they don't feel secure enough that they're going to have enough wealth in retirement, then, you know, if they leave something after they're gone, but they knew that they had enough money to live through retirement, that that's why some people may not want to give too much, over give too much money of their wealth before they actually die. Versus other people, if they have much greater wealth into that, you know, that fifty, hundred million dollar or above range, then they have that security. So that's why that I think that one to five million dollar range makes a, a big difference on how people actually give the money, whether it's when they're alive versus uh, after they uh, bequest it after they die. Got it. So in, in, in preparing for our conversation today, I, I was just sort of trying to get my brain around what the big differences were going to be between high net worth individuals from an investing standpoint and just, just ordinary people walking around. And as we're talking, it strikes me that we all know that we're supposed to be doing goal planning. And we all know that we also all know that very few of us actually do it. So the very simple fact that a lot of these high net worth people are going through this goal-based process. It could just be that simple that so many of average Americans aren't even doing that. Exactly. I mean, if you, and this is what I even tell my students during my personal finance class uh, when we teach credit cards. Um, nearly 70% of people carry credit card balances. Um, so it's 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 not even that the idea that you could get someone thinking about goals. It's the idea that the average person either they have a, what what I would call money beha- certain ty- types of money behaviors where they're uh, overspending, low financial literacy, or some people just don't mind having credit card debt. And so it's an it's it's an interesting way of just. Um, uh, thinking about, uh, I would say, you know, the way I think about it is really probably only about 25, you know, if you want to, I would say only about 25% of individuals at any income level really, tr- what I would call, have real financial health, meaning they live on a budget, they don't carry debt, uh, especially on credit cards, and they're saving for retirement, and they have an emergency fund. I mean, I would say I don't even know if it is 25%, because yet you, even the statistics show, for example, only about 50% of the American households have 
uh, money in stocks and stock mutual funds. And then, as I said, 70% of that carry credit card debt. So that means, essentially, 50% of people only have money in, in stocks or stock mutual funds, and 30% do not have any credit card debt, and they pay off that balance at the end of the, uh, at the, end of the month. So that's why I think that much lower percentage of people have true financial health and true financial freedom. Yeah, I think that definitely makes a lot of sense. So it's not this idea of being able to invest is like like high net worth people. It's not beyond the reach of, of anybody. It simply is start with budgeting. Start with not carrying credit card balances. Start with actually sitting down and doing goals-based investing versus if you're doing it at all, just basic, you know, um, just go beyond basic investment planning. Exactly. And, and I think what's the most important thing to think about is with the goal-based investing, that financial plan, based on whether a person will have a combination of short-term goals, which are less than a year or two, intermediate goals, which would say maybe up to five years, and longer-term goals, which are you know, maybe seven to ten, I think say typically more than ten years, that's going to give you that once you take into account all the gold within a financial plan, you're essentially going to have a rate of return that I, what I like to call is your personal eye or your entire value money, what I tell my students about. But so ultimately, this is your rate of return for everything you're trying to do to achieve all your financial goals during your lifetime. And, they're gonna, and those financial plans will change, but just having a plan of action is so important. But for example, if, if you need, say, at the end of your life, even just a, someone who's of moderate income wants to have $2 million to reach retirement goals and, say, a couple other goals, then probably their eye is about 8% if they're, if they're young enough in their 20s or 30s versus don't worry about that return of 15% on S&P 500. That's, not, that's a return just from one single investment and part of an overall strategy. In part of a, a part, it's just an individual asset class within an overall strategy. It's trying to figure out what your goals are tied with what is your rate of return to reach all your financial goals or your personal eye, as I described. Got it. Well, Victor, we've already been giving a couple out, but... Savage Nation is ready for your difference-making tip. What do you have for them? Um, I would say, uh, and, and I guess I also just wanted to, uh, to I guess the biases I think that, that, that people can learn from high net worth individuals, individuals is they tend to be much more satisfied with their advice from their advisors, and they have higher uh, levels of trust. And even if their rates of returns aren't as much as, you know, as, as same with another advisor, what, what I think especially, and it's not mentioned in the chapter, but it's in actually in the first book, it's a, I, I think the right advisor really provides a nice degree of behavioral coaching, which is once you suffer from certain types of biases, so a uh, couple biases may be overconfidence, trading too much, uh, high levels of stress may cause you to get in and out of stocks. Well, the a behavioral coach or behavioral finance coach or advisor acting as a coach helps you uh, not react to those biases. And by not acting to, reacting to those biases, that 
helps you more likely to reach your goals, but uh, that also more likely keeps you get your higher rate of return for your personal eye. So that human relationship is very important, and that role of coaching and understanding what triggers bad behavior, and if somebody can discuss with you and walk you through it, you're less likely to move your money around and make bad financial mistakes, I think would be, my, would be one of my uh, biggest uh, uh, recommendations. And then also the last one, I think, especially with high net worth individuals, they have a high degree of trust in their advisors. And many times that's called the trust heuristic, meaning they draw, you know, even if they don't, even with little information, they, they, have, they have a lot more trust in their advisors, say, than the regular individual investor. So those two things, um, ha- having a, a right trust and, and balance of control, meaning you want the client or the individual investor to be engaged in ways they don't want to be too controlling, but they don't want to be over trusting. So it's really finding a, a balance of giving enough control to the advisor where you're entrusting the advisor where you're going to accept their financial advice, but the client is going to have the responsibility to be engaged within that overall process. Well, that is great stuff. That definitely gets it. Come on. Come on. Victor, thank you so much for coming back on. Where can Savage Nation learn more about you? Where can they pick up a copy of the book? Uh, well, both books are uh, Investor Behavior and Financial Behavior, just the short, shorter titles, are both available on Amazon. Uh, financial, uh, financial Behavior is the more current one, and that's actually the cheaper of the two, so maybe that's a good starting point. <laughs> um, <laughs> well, just trying to help people maximize their returns. There you go. Uh, but also, um, I, I tend the best way to just f- find me is on Twitter. Um, if you just search uh, Twitter by the term behavioral finance or by my, my last name, which is Victor Riccardi, is my screen name, uh, you, you'll be able to find me on Twitter. And then I, I tend just to post things about my current research, current news stories. I don't post anything about politics. I don't um, have any agenda. My agenda is just to educate people about behavioral finance and increase people's financial literacy. As an academic, that's the greatest thing that that gives me pleasure. Amen. Well, Savage Nation, if you enjoyed this as much as I did, show Victor your appreciation and share today's show with a friend who also appreciates good ideas. You can pick up copies of both of his books on Amazon, which I will link in the notes of the show, and you can follow him on Twitter, and I'll also link to that as well. Thank you again, Victor. Thanks for having me. And until next time, keep fighting the good fight because we are all in this together. Before I go, quick announcement. I've been asked by so many people over the past couple of years about how do I start a podcast that I've developed and released a course that will teach you exactly how to do that step-by-step from figuring out the kind of show that you want to have to understanding how all the technology works behind it, and then how to get great guests and uh, keep the thing moving and how to grow it. So if you're interested in that, check it out. You can go to georgegrombacher.com forward slash podcast course, and you'll find it there. You can just go to the website. I'll also list that in the notes of the show. What's up, Savage Nation? Please support the show by subscribing, leave us a review, and definitely feel free to share us with somebody you think would like it. Come on.